The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo! Yeah. How about that? You should have been pulled in the forefront they have faith in you. You should have been pulled in the fifth that they had faith in you. And you It's time for another edition of the Hey! It's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's episode 45. The Garrett Cole Edition. On today's first show of 2021, we have a very special guest. The one and only Chris Towers from the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Chris joins Christopher Deary and Michael Govier to talk about 2021 fantasy draft prep. He'll tell you everything he thinks about leading up to a draft. Plus, Star Wars, Wilco, and a whole assortment of random tidbits. Take it away, boys! Welcome in, everybody! You are listening to the Hey! It is Enrico Palazzo, Fantasy Baseball Podcast. This is a big show because it's our first show of 2021. Chris Deary, are you excited about that? I am ecstatic for the new year. Excited to talk baseball. We have a fantastic guest on today as well. We do have a guest. That's true. Uh, We are doing something different. It's 2021, like I said. It's the first week of the year, and we're trying to expand our knowledge base and kind of take it into a direction where we have as many different points of view as possible, which could be overwhelming for some, but our goal is to give the listeners as much information as possible by the time they draft in March. And that journey starts today with none other than Chris Towers from CBS Sports. Chris, it's uh, it's a privilege to have you here, and thank you for giving us some of your time today on the Palazzo Pod. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Is your fantastic guest coming on later? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't want to. Yeah. All right. Spoiler alert. Uh, no, 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 no hard feelings. I understand. Yeah. Uh, really, you yeah. got to get good guests after you bring on someone like me. Right. Now, you, now. You're the opener. You know, it's like exactly. the chili yeah. peppers come on, you know, after like band of horses or something smaller. You <laughs> exactly. know? So, yeah. Yeah. You understand. That's right. So we are uh, grateful that Chris for giving us some of his time. We're going to talk about fantasy baseball, obviously. And Chris, you have kind of shifted back because you're football heavy, so now you're getting back into the baseball swing of things. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've been doing, uh, you know, the last you know, month or so, I've been getting back into my baseball research. I was doing the uh, Fantasy Football Today newsletter, which I'm doing all year round for CBS Sports. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to have rankings on the site for the first time in a couple of years on CBS Sports. Uh, 
because I transitioned. I was the editor and manager of the fantasy group. Now I'm just a regular old analyst moving back into that role. So oh, really? I'll actually have time to, uh, yeah, I'll just be focusing on like writing and video and podcasts and stuff. Not, uh, you know, not trying to make sure everything's spelled right, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, a bit of a relief. Well, you'll be more on the fun side, right? Exactly. You know, I, I get to do a, a little less work. So. Yeah, I was under the impression that so you were like you were like one of the guys who kind of ran things in the department. Yeah, I was. I was the boss. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, and, so and things didn't fall apart. So I said a successful four years. That is wonderful news. I'm really happy to hear that. Well, we got a massive show, Chris. You are in store on a special day. You already talked about it. You did a blurb with the fellows over at CBS today about this massive Lindor trade. We're going to talk about that because we were blessed with huge news today. And what a what a break for the Palazzo pod that we got Chris on the same time. But we want to remind people that the show is presented by rotofanatic.com and we have just released the Data Monster, which is an analytical tool which will help you win your fantasy leagues in 2021. And we also added historical data just this past week. So now you can compare not only what happened in 2020, but all the way back to 2015, pitchers, hitters, prospect comparisons. We got it all at rotofanatic.com. Dot com. All right. So let's get into, you know, I, I want, I have so many things I want to talk about you. We're going to talk about, you know, early possible bounce back candidates later in the show. We're going to get your emails and chatter. But I had one question that was pushed upon me the most that I had to ask you early on, Chris. And it was, it was, what is your favorite bar in the city? It was, I was told to actually say it just like that too, in the city. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> So here's the thing. I moved to New York City in October of 2019. Mm -hmm. And uh, famously, the entire world shut down in about March of 2020. Uh, so I got five months of winter and fall, which not necessarily always the best times to go out. Uh, I like the pony bar in the Upper East Side. Um in Manhattan. That one's really good. That was uh, probably the place I went to the most just because it was right around the corner from my friend's uh, apartment. And then uh, the Brew Inn in Greenpoint. I would say those were my two uh, my two go-tos so far. There it is. I that wish I had more better <laughs> options for you, but uh, unfortunately I spent 75% of my time in New York City not leaving my apartment. Yeah, but you got a killer rack of instruments behind you, so you're definitely a musical man. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm taking most of the month of January off. I'm gonna be doing more of my fantasy baseball research, but otherwise, I'm gonna build a new guitar. So I'm looking forward to that. Add to the collection, and uh, you know, just try to be constructive during my time off as well. Wait, 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 wait. Are you gonna yeah. like woodworking? No, like you're gonna no, make I'm it? I'm not gonna whittle it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. I have a neck. And I'm going to buy a new body uh, and some pickups. And I'm going to learn how to do that thing where you make metal connect to other metal with when it's liquid or so. I don't really know <laughs> how to do it or anything. I'm the like, least technically savvy person, but I yeah, built a welding computer recently. So I feel like I can, I can do this. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Well, I wish you a wonderful journey on your musical experience in January. And nobody deserves the time off more than you. And I mean that because Thanks. I wasn't even working for eight months. So I, I don't deserve time off. I need to be working now. You know, I, <laughs> I had my time. 
I feel like the, the I probably had the better end of that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you did. <laughs> but hey, that's okay. Here on the Plaza Podcast, we believe in everybody getting their chance and their time to shine. We're going to talk about players that will shine, players that might not shine. We're going to cover the Lindor trade because that's the big news of the day. But first, leading off. Okay, there you go. A little jingle from RBI Baseball 3. Oh, okay, there you go. That, that there it is. Yeah, 8-bit wonderfulness. So, the Lindor trade, <clears throat> I listened to what you had to say earlier about it, and it generally seemed like there wasn't a lot that changes for Lindor, and I, I would tend to agree with you on that. You also talked about the historical factors from AL to NL and the changes that occur because of moving from league to league, not being massive. So yeah. there's really not a lot to add to this from the Lindor. And I'm wondering, is there anybody else in this trade that you find to be more appealing or less appealing because of this trade? I think this is probably just a, a win-win trade all around. I don't, I don't think there's anybody on either side or on either roster that we would at least, you know, have cared much about who loses value for it. I, like Lindor does gain value, but there's only so much value you can gain when you're Francisco Lindor. Like, Moving to a better lineup, but maybe they won't have the DH. We still don't know about that. Um, I think I want to say it's probably, I mean, it's probably one of the two guys Cleveland acquired, Ahmed Rosario or uh, Andres Jimenez, but I'm a little, I think they're both kind of fringy. And so I, I'm not terribly, like, I, I think they're both, they move from like fr fringy to slightly less fringy and maybe. Rosario moves from didn't have an everyday job to has an everyday job, but I'm just not sure either of those guys is good enough to, you know, really get too excited about. I think there's potential for both. So I'll say Carlos Carrasco, you know, yes, he's not going to have a better schedule than he did last year because the AL and NL central was the easiest possible schedule you could have. Um, but moving to, you know, away from the part of the league with the DH, to potentially towards the league that won't have a DH. I really wish we knew that Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. by now. I'm starting to get a little bit of deja vu back to like last July when we were like, yeah, the season's going to start soon. And then we started to realize like, oh, they haven't actually worked out any of the details on this. Like pitchers and catchers are supposed to report you know, like 40 days from now, probably is usually it's right around the middle of February. And, we have no idea what the financials of the league are going to be, whether there's going to be a DH, whether there's going to be expanded play. Like we don't know. So I don't know. Hopefully there will be baseball this year. Uh, it sounds like there may be a shortened season. I think I saw a report that that might be possible, but I'm always it, big on that. I've been huge on that. Yeah. So the problem is selfishly shorten it on the back end, like end this thing in August like last day of August would be much better for me personally, because I do have to shift. <laughs> and uh, I always feel bad when that happens, but that's, that's beside the point. It would be nice to know if we, if we had a, a DH, because if you were drafting, you know, an, an early draft or a best ball or something, I think that would really help Carlos Carrasco's outlook because I mean, it's the DH he gets to face a pitcher. And, and we're talking about someone who last season towards the end of the season was actually going deep into games. I think, six plus innings in his, each of his final six starts or six or more um, average six and two thirds per start in that stretch, six and a third in, in that stretch. So 
there is the potential for him to be one of those rare borderline aces, if not an ace, who actually goes deep into games, and those guys don't exist, really. There's like seven of them. Um, he's 34 years old. There's some risk involved. But if there's no DH in the National League, I, I think Carrasco could be top 15 starting pitcher. Uh, you know, I, I really think there's there's a lot to like about him in this situation with a great lineup backing him up. Mets defense probably won't be very good, uh, so that's a bit of a concern. But you know, all all other things, you know, look pretty good for him in this scenario. Yeah, I mean, I also think with a shortened season, that's going to help Carrasco out a bunch too. I mean, he's only pitched 140 innings the last two years. Obviously, came back from leukemia, but these are things that we obviously need to know, like right now, because there's people already starting to draft and and, and prep. So we really need to figure out what's going on with the DH. Yeah, that's one of the things we'll talk about, too, when we ask Chris some questions later in the show about, you know, short season issues and going from 2020 to 21 with the pitchers who nobody was given an opportunity to go long. And now, even if the season's reduced and we get a buck 20, that's still, that's double the season that we just had. And the, the current report a friend of mine sent to me the other day said, Hey, uh, MLB and MLBPA agree that there will be uh, spring training in mid-February. And as Chris alluded to in his earlier discussion of this, I remember on opening day last year, they finalized the playoff format that day, that afternoon. It was right that That's how close it was. It's like, oh, oh here it is. 16-team playoff format right at the buzzer. So, yes, we have no idea what will happen or when it will happen, we should just all sit back and unfortunately that makes projections and analyzing fantasy baseball right now kind of difficult because <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. I got to ask you, Chris, where do you think Lindor's going to bat in that lineup? I've seen third, I've seen first. Uh, that's going to change a lot of values of guys like like a Jeff McNeil or a Brandon Nimmo. Where do you think he uh, slots in in that order? I would hope it's first. You know, he's not necessarily like the high OBP guy that we always want in the lineup in the leadoff spot. But I, I think sort of selfishly, I think he's, he has a lot more value when he's batting at the top of the lineup. Francisco Lindor. The thing is, he's not like, he's one of those players who doesn't necessarily stand out in any of the five categories. Like he's a good power hitter. He's a good stolen base guy. He's a pretty good batting average guy, although always seems like he should be better. Uh, and then a ton of runs in RBI, but that that mostly comes from the fact that, you know, he bats at the top of the lineup. He gets a lot of opportunities. I would want him there um, just because I think that's where you can get the absolute most out of him. I don't think like I don't think Francisco Lindor batting third is going to make up for, you know, the 50 plate appearances that he probably loses out on moving to third uh, by, you know, getting more RBI. I think we want him in the leadoff spot, even if might if it might not necessarily be the ideal thing for the Mets. And I don't know, like Brandon Nimmo's a high OBP guy, but I, he's not exactly a pro, like a sure thing either. So I think Lindor is probably the best option for them as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I actually got rid of Lindor in a uh, keeper-type league last year because I was afraid the Steels wouldn't come back to where they were to provide first-round value. That was my main concern. None of the other tools, I'm, I'm not worried about them. But if you're not going to give me 20 Steels, I, I, I got to go in a different direction, and that's what I did. What about Jimenez, though? I actually am excited about Jimenez now. He can just be unleashed and give 25 steals, hit 10, 15. I, I mean, home runs? I think that's uh, 
very reasonable. I, I really liked what I saw from him in limited duty. Now, I know it's a small sample. I yeah. get that. So I'm not going to freak out, but I did like what I saw. Yeah, I um, I don't know. He feels a little Jose Peraza-y to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Peraza had one really, really good season. I think he hit 14 homers and hit like 290 with 23 stolen bases or something like that. Uh, the problem is he makes, based on what we saw, and, you know, caveats for everything and say hello to my cat. Hey. Uh, he didn't make enough contact for how weak of contact he made. And that, you know, when your 21% strikeout rate isn't bad, but when you have a 26% hard hit rate, when you don't hit for power, it is pretty bad because you're not going to be able to make up for what you're losing in batting average by all those strikeouts, you know, with, you know, 10 extra home runs. Like, I think 15 feels like a pretty hard ceiling. Granted that he is young. You know, that that's the one thing is that he could become something that he hasn't shown us before. Uh, he was better than I expected in 2020, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of drafting him hoping that I get 25 stolen bases and he hits 270. And anything more than that, I, I think is probably... Uh, bonus and that probably means i'm not going to draft a lot of him because i know there are people uh in the fantasy baseball industry who like him quite a bit more than that and and see more uh upside there but for me it it mostly looks like a stolen bases only uh projection yeah i think you're right about that unfortunately i listen to what you said on the dynasty pod when you and scott were talking earlier this week mm-hmm. how things can change so quickly in three years right yeah. Now, that, that's the only thing I think about. But that is also, I don't have a lot of grounded data that I could support for Jimenez to have that growth either. Things do change, but you also need to see markers along the way to give yourself that bump and be like, hey, okay, oh, we're on the right track. We're, I like what I'm seeing. So things change, but we need evidence along the way too. And the thing about the things change, like it, this makes me think of something that like Nate Silver would always talk about during the election, he would say, you know, well, a polling miss of five points could lead to one outcome or the other, but it's not necessarily equally. It's not necessarily that it will only move in one direction. Like Andres Jimenez could have some kind of outlier event that does make him a 18 homer, 30 stolen base guy. And, you know, that would make him pretty much a a fantasy stud. Francisco Lindor is actually a guy who definitely did that. We didn't expect him to be the kind of hitter he was when he came up to the majors. But the opposite is also true. And Andres Jimenez in two years could be a, a bench guy at best. He could be, you know, a, a utility player. And so the Peraza route, as you said. <laughs> right, right. Like, Jose Peraza looked like a really interesting young player his first couple of seasons. And, you know, now I only remembered his name really because he's on the Indians roster. And that's why I came <laughs> up with that comp. If if they had had some other utility infielder, I probably would have gone with that one as well. Um so yeah, that it is possible, but like you said, you want to look for those markers, and I don't think Jimenez had enough of them. Like he didn't hit the ball particularly hard, twenty six percent hard hit rate, um, and the 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 plate discipline and, and strikeouts in particular just did not suggest to me someone who has a, a a future as much more than an average hitter at best. 
He, he feels like a guy who, I mean, he, he had 132 plate appearances last year. He's certainly going to get over 500 this year. Uh, he's, he seems like a guy in a redraft league that gets drafted, starts off really poorly and gets dropped, and then maybe goes on a streak and someone picks him up. It, sure, and that yeah. tends, tends to happen a lot with rookies. Uh, but we're certainly going to find out you know, what he can be or what he may not be in this first year because he's going to get the plate appearances in, in Cleveland. And they're talking about him uh, leading off as well if he gets that starting job. Yeah, and that would certainly make him more interesting, although this really could be the worst lineup in baseball. I mean, you, you look at it like who besides Jose Ramirez and Framo Reyes are you confident will be an above average hitter? I was well, I was just gonna go into that. Yeah, it looks pretty I, <laughs> I like I kinda like Josh Naylor. I'm not gonna rule him out, uh, but that's it. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Yeah, there are things to like about Josh Naylor. Uh, he just hasn't brought any of them to the majors with him. So. <laughs> that, that's uh, a one little thing. One little thing. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, honestly, like the minor league track record for him, he, he was a Marlins prospect before they traded him, and, and even the minor league numbers weren't like out of this world for a guy who was a bat-only prospect. You know, he's, what, 5'11", and basically only out, corner outfield or first base. So, you know, he really has to hit, and like the minor league numbers, he basically had the 154 game stretch with the Padres in 2019 in AAA with the juiced ball, where he had an OPS, I think, over like 840. I think was probably the only time he did that. So there are things to like about Cleveland's, uh, you know, individual pieces in Cleveland's lineup. Like I've liked Jake Bowers in the past. Um, Oscar Mercado, you know, <laughs> remember how excited everyone was for him a year ago? Maybe he gets another opportunity because. That outfield is there are there are almost certainly going to be triple A outfields that are better than this one. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think that's an exaggeration, uh, especially if Framer Rice is mostly playing DH or first base, which there's been some signs of him doing this offseason. If if he's not in the outfield, there won't be many, I don't think there will be a single one worse in the majors. Well, that World Series drought will continue then. I think so, yeah. Oh, man. You know, there's always the Bradley Zimmer hype. You know, maybe that'll come back. But that's, that's how desperate we're getting, though. Somehow. Yeah, we're getting desperate now. I admit it freely. So. He got to 28 years old real quick. He really did. Uh, the shoulder, yeah, he had a lot of issues. Injuries will derail your career, and he's unfortunately yeah, an part. example of that. But I'm not giving up on him just yet because if he can steal some bags, show some yeah. of that speed on the base pass that I saw flashes of and he's going to get a shot too this is a thing so yeah. if the lineup's a disaster and it fairly you know it is it's not great there is opportunity so maybe someone will shine but now you're taking extreme chances and these are people you want to be drafting at like you know 450 or later adp so yeah. these are not just in your flyers. 12 team leagues exactly yeah it's people that would not get a lot of attention otherwise so my last question on this trade though is will jose ramirez get the chance to just run like crazy now is because this is what i'm thinking that was my initial response it's like okay there's nothing going on uh might as well just go to town on the stolen bases at this point yeah i mean that that was one of the things that i took away from rosario and jimenez getting traded there as well this is a team that's going to need to generate runs somehow and terry francona has been a, a manager who has let the the guys who can run run and so yeah i think you probably like, I, I don't think Jose Ramirez is going to, like, steal 40 bases or anything. But <laughs> he's definitely someone that you should be expecting, you know, 20 at least, I think. And, and probably closer to 25 or 30. Um, 
and he's going to be, you know, I, I think in any Roto League, if you get him outside of like what the top six, it's probably going to be a really good thing for you. So, I, like the lineup around him is bad, but the lineup around him was not good last year. Um, you know, it's certainly worse. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But um, I don't think it's enough to change his outlook either way. But are you someone who has seen Jose? I mean, in your early returns, you're getting back into the baseball swing of things. Is Jose Ramirez a top eight to you in Roto? Is he a top eight player or is that stretching it for you? No, that that seems like exactly what he should be. I mean, you you look at the last four years for him, really, and he's played exactly at that level with the exception of the weird start to the 2019 season, where I think we actually had a really good explanation for why you usually don't have uh, the player's agent coming out and telling you exactly why a player is struggling, but that's actually what happened with Jose Ramirez. I don't know if you guys remember, but his agent basically said he was getting shifted so much. The strategy was let's try to go the other way. And it got him away from what he was good at, which was creating power to the pole side. And it's not like the shift was hurting him. It was like a preemptive, like let's get ahead of this thing. And, he got back to doing that in the second half, uh, you know, really like last 50 to 60 games in 2019. I think he led the majors in OPS over like the last 50 games of the 2019 season or something like that. And, you know, last season he was pretty damn good. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that was the bad thumb, league. too. He was battling that yeah. thumb injury. So. Yeah, I think he's a- an absolute no brainer. I-, I wouldn't take him number three overall, uh, but like. I don't think there's much of a gap between him and the, you know, Mookie Betts. Uh, he's probably a little behind Acuna and Tatis, but even then, we've seen the upside that he has, and it's not that far behind those guys. So I think if you were going to use a tiebreaker for him, it is the bad team around him where the rest of those guys are pretty good. But I remember people had some of those concerns about Juan Soto last season and turned out to not really be an issue. <laughs> Damn right. I completely agree with that. Hey, this is the Palazzo Podcast. We're talking with Chris Towers from CBS Fantasy Baseball and Football, of course. But football is over now, although the playoffs are this weekend, which is exciting. I'm ex- I am love watching the NFL playoffs. I mean, I'm not a big NFL guy anymore, but NFL playoffs are as good as it gets. I will just say it feels like the NFL season ended a month ago. <laughs> no, I checked was. out a month ago. That was last week. We <laughs> was last week, and I'm just like, how how is that like i haven't worked this week so i think that's thrown my my sense of time off and also you know whatever the world (laughs) time doesn't work normally in this world anymore but i just like i can't believe like i just thought about like yeah the last day of the nfl season was five days ago not five weeks yeah week 17 I mean, real yeah, thing, that's though, partially right? why it's like the actual last week of the football season was really 12 days ago, but still. There you go. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Sagano, Mr. Tomoyuki Sagano, is going to stay over in Japan. He is not coming over. Uh, the deadline today at 5 p.m. Eastern time came and went. So uh, for those of you that drafted him early, this gets into a question I have for you, Chris, about the risk of early drafting, taking a chance where players' values might increase, but then another guy like this who doesn't play at all, yeah. he was going around you know, 200 overall ADP, so it wasn't like he was just a super late-round flyer. Where do you come out on the early drafting? Are you someone who will draft in December, or do you like to wait? 
Uh, we'll we'll do a couple, but personally, since I'm you know in football season in December, it's really hard for me to to have to not be at a disadvantage with the kind because the kind of people who are drafting in December are really really into it, and I've already done a lot more research than like I will catch up, uh, and I'm starting to already. But yeah, getting getting into those December drafts, like maybe next year when I've got a little more free time. Maybe I'll do some December dress, but I, I don't think like I, there's an edge to be found if you're drafting that early, if you're really, you know, up on things. But I think you run into the problem of everybody who's drafting there is going to be, you know, presumably a higher than average uh, skilled fantasy player. And so, you know, I, I think there can be you can overstate the edge that you can gain there, I think. Um so I, I don't love doing it, but that's just kind of my personal situation as much as anything. I, I'll wait as long as I can to draft, mainly because, you know, spring training injuries that happen. Obviously, you know, there's still a lot of free agents out there. And who knows? I mean, after we got this Lindor trade and then we had Snell yeah. and Darvish last week, there could be a hell of a lot more movement here in the next few weeks. So I am someone week? who certainly waits. Was that only last week? It was. Yeah. Oh, man. Again, it, time warp. It's really messing with my head. Yeah, it's, I mean, (laughs) if I'm playing in like one of my home leagues, I want to draft as late as possible just because I think there's going to be more interest. There's going to be more excitement the closer you get to the season. And like, there's nothing worse than like, you've got 12 people in your league. Someone drafts a guy who, you know, last year, Justin Verlander in the kind of abbreviated spring training Mm. is done for the season, basically before the season even starts like that, that just, it, it can ruin your season and having 12 people who feel like they're in it as long as possible is what makes a good fantasy league. Great. Well, well said. Yeah, you're right. I, you know, when you're doing best balls and draft champions and things like that, those are different. And yeah. When you're talking home leagues, yeah. The more inclusive and the longer they can all stay involved. I completely agree with that because there's nothing worse than having the last place team, especially if there's trades involved, doing weird stuff. Yeah. Or just not setting their lineup. Even Yeah, right. Giving free victories week to week. Not cool. Not cool. It'll never be cool. <laughs> but here you know, on the Plaza podcast, we kind of grew up on head-to-head leagues uh we're not Love proud it. of it we're not proud much, of it much prefer it i'm not one of those roto snobs it, it, like oh <laughs> it's i love i love drafting for them i love the strategy of building a roto team and then like five weeks into the season i'm like oh i don't enjoy this this isn't fun <laughs> i know it's like not cool and like you're supposed to like want to do a 15 team 10 by 10 like the more categories and the more things you put in it, the cooler it makes you. But like, I just like, just give me like me and a, me and a guy and we're going up against each other and I get to talk crap to that guy. And then we move on to the next week. That's, that's what I like. Do you, Chris, do you play both? Do you still do head to head or is it just strictly road? Yeah. Or you're CBS, just secret. You're just secretive about the head to head that you're doing. No CBS. Uh, our default is CBS fantasy's default is head to head points. And we have, probably more listeners to the CBS fantasy baseball day podcast who play points than Roto. I, I always do been to, the case. Yeah. Yeah. My preference is actually head to head, uh, head to head categories. That's I think what that's we're talking about. Yes. Um, and this also sometimes is controversial, but I prefer one win per week. 
I don't like the like you win oh. 5.5 to 4.5. Like, 641 time. It, yeah. It doesn't matter to quote whatever Vin Diesel's character in Fast and the Furious name is. Chris something, right? Isn't that? No? I've never, never seen, seen any one Fast of them. Uh, <laughs> I've seen them. I just don't remember like any details about them. Uh, I'm familiar with them, of course, but yeah. I don't know. Doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. So if you win 5.5 to 4.5 because you tied saves on the final game of the, of the week, you should get a win for that. You don't get extra wins in baseball because you won in the 12th inning as opposed to blowing someone out by eight. A win's a win. You get one win for a week. That's my that's my hot take. Well, Mark and I always talk about it that like so many people in the industry or not even in the industry, just people that play. It's like they still play by these archaic rules. Yeah, uh, I, I love the one win per week. Yeah. Um, the you know, and I love head to head cats. But yeah, the head to head cats. I won, I won 11 three, but I actually had like some of the worst stats of the of the of the year or of the, of the week. So I always thought that was kind of ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love that you're on uh, on board with the head to head and especially the one win per week. I love that. Good. Yeah, I'm glad I we're all on the right side of history. <laughs> I find your belief system fascinating. I do. That is fascinating. I really must say. <laughs> that was uh, Kruger from Seinfeld, the Festivist episode. Uh, okay, That's okay, a thing. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, uh, Vin Diesel's name in that movie and the series, Dominic Toretto. Dominic, Dom Toretto, yes. Dom Toretto. Okay. There you go. I didn't know that. I looked it up. Just for the record, you're listening to the Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's on Twitter, Palazzo Podcast, Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. If you want to send us an email, tell us about what you think about head-to-head categories leagues. I think they're cool, and so does Chris, which is probably one of the highlights of the show so far, I must say. Um, You know, Snell and Darvish trades were last week. They've been covered ad nauseum. Is there anything that you want to add, Um, anything you haven't had a chance to say about this both of these trades from any angle or has it been pretty much well covered? Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's like a ton. These felt like fairly surface level moves like the Cubs trade, the, the Darvish trade. There was really only one thing to analyze about that trade because four of the five guys, the Cubs got, we might see them in 2024. <laughs> more likely maybe one of them actually makes the majors and becomes fantasy relevant like that's just like they they draft they traded for like i think of the four guys only one of them had a play uh, a professional plate appearance in like the american major league system um and then zach davies is you know perfectly fine a nice little fella yeah, yeah, he's, he's a he's, solid he's there he's there um, so yeah I, I think that's like i think from a non-fantasy perspective, I thought the there was way too much like, ah, yes, the Rays are brilliant for doing this trade. And kind of I didn't really like the return all that much. But, you know, hopefully uh, Patino gets to pitch in the major league uh, rotation relatively soon. My assumption is he won't because the Rays are probably more conservative with pitching prospects than any organization in baseball. You pretty much always see every player really all their prospects, they like to get them a full year at every level, basically. And so I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't see him until June uh, in the Rays rotation, which would be disappointing, but that's just kind of my expectation. That would be par for the course, though. You're right. I mean, there's so many names that they've had the opportunity to unload, and they've ended up trading them before they've even ever pitched for them at times. So you're right about that. And Patino... 
he hasn't shown us anything at the major league level yet, so there's some work to be done there. And Francisco Mejia, though, uh, uh, are you someone who's waiting on this still as an no. opportunity? Because I think the party's over. Well, yeah, I there was a, a piece by Ben Lindbergh, Lindbergh on the Ringer. I think it was last year where he went through the history of top prospects who get traded. You know, he broke it down by top 100, top 50, top 10, top 20, et cetera. And basically across the spectrum, if a top prospect gets traded, it's not 100% guaranteed, but on the whole, at a population level, they perform worse than the prospects who don't get traded. And that makes perfect sense. We're dealing teams who, when, when a player's on a team at the major league level, that team knows more about that player than anyone else does. Now, you can fill in a lot of the gaps because we see a lot of that. At the minor league level, you know, the the Rays may have had a scout watch Patino pitch, you know, 25 times in his career. That might be more than than what the actual number is. And so, you know, they don't see him working out every day. They don't, they don't, and all this stuff that it's all kind of woo and it's, you know, we can't, uh, you know, categorize it or, or quantify it. But for whatever reason, players who get, Prospects who get traded do tend to perform worse. And Francisco Mejia, the first warning sign in Cleveland could not find a spot for him. They tried. They tried him in the outfield. They tried him at third base. They just could not get him in their lineup. Then they traded him to the Padres. Padres could not get him into their lineup. He barely played last season. He he couldn't really push Austin Hedges for playing time in 2019. And so now we're in 2020. I just, like, he's 20 five or 26. Yes. I know catchers take longer, but if you've been traded twice and you haven't like really shown it, I I don't think there's much reason to, to hold out hope for it. I know catchers a thin position, but you know, there are going to be catchers going late in drafts this year, like Joey Bart, who not exactly a significantly worse prospect than Francisco Mejia. Uh, and you know, he's, he hasn't failed as much, I guess is the best way to put it. And so now I, I, I've pretty much given up on the Francisco Mejia thing. Well, speaking of big deals, Greg Allen to the Yankees, Chris. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to cover that. <laughs> Congratulations, Greg. You're a Yankee now. Maybe it fulfilled a lifelong goal for you. I have no idea, but good for you. Um, Mr. Hassan Kim, is he going to take away playing time now? Because it's obvious he will. But my question is, is Jake Cronenworth uh, going to be trade bait now? Is is the party over on him? Because Cronenworth was someone I've seen in mocks as recently as a week ago, still going inside top 200. I I really struggle with this one because I know the the projections and translations are all incredibly high on, on Hassan Kim. And maybe they will, maybe it'll work out. Like I've seen, you know, the, was it Zips who has him as like a four win player? basically from day one with like 20 homers and 24 steals, like this really, really optimistic projection. And they're smarter than me. Like I, I do not have my own proprietary projection system that has been tested hundreds and thousands of times. And so they would know better than I would, but he got a four and a half million dollar per year deal. I think maybe five, six. It wasn't this deal that suggests okay, we think this guy is this budding superstar, like some of the projection systems show. And but it's just, been spun that he's betting on himself, too. That's it spin could be, because I guess he's got like a four-year deal and then he can become a free agent. Is that what the deal is? Yeah, he'll still be pretty young, too. Yeah. It's possible. Like, 
again, I, I'm not smarter than Clay Davenport, who came up with the first League of League translations, and I'm not smarter than I can't think of the guy who runs Zip's name, but like these are smart people. Oh, Dan Zaborski? Yeah. Smart, smarter than me for sure. They know what they're talking about. It wouldn't shock me if they're wrong, but it just it does feel a little overly optimistic based on like if this was a four-win player, if this was a guy who's gonna hit 275 with 20 homers and 20 steals and play good defense, he probably gets a better deal than that, right? Like that might be overly simplistic. That might be, you know, like a something of a tautology, but it just, if he was that good, they would have valued him as that good. I think. Yeah. There's the market too. There's a lot going on. I see your point. I do. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with it. We got a slow market. Um, Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like nobody's. and, And the thing is, if you were to apply that same logic to Francisco Lindor and say, well, he got, two middle infielders who, you know, may cap out as average players and two guys who I don't think either of them has played in a professional game yet. You could also make that same argument and say, well, maybe Francisco Lindor is not that good. Maybe they, so obviously, yes, that, that is not a a locked in uh, take that I want to say, like, there's no way. Um, I just, I I guess I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm not saying it can't happen, but when I see like, you know, is he a top 100 pick or a top? Like, I've seen people talking about him as a top 60 pick. Cool. That's where it starts to get. Like, I, I probably won't have him on my roster. So back back to, like, Cronenworth. I mean, he's someone that you're going to completely shy away from now. Because in my perspective, it seems like things like this kind of seem to work out sometimes when you have a log jam. And he is someone that can play multiple positions. Is he someone that you're just completely avoiding now? Uh I'll I'll do another movie quote, and this one's from a movie I've actually seen several several times. Uh, Life uh, finds a way, and I think that's when you're looking at a guy. Look at you know Jeff McNeil was a guy who you know, I guess in the 2019 season we're like, well, we don't know where he's going to play. JD Davis was another one. Dominic Smith, a lot of guys on the Mets, where it was like, well, we don't know. Are they going to have an everyday job? It might be frustrating for a little while with Cronenworth, but if he hits to the level that he did last season and he has that ability to fill in in a number of different spots, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to slump. There's going to be an opportunity for him. And if he gets discounted to the point where, you know, you're essentially using a, a utility or bench spot on him. Yeah. I think that there's a, there is definitely a ton of value to be found there. Oh, I know somebody was already trying to get the, t- you know, we're Detroit locals here. So someone's saying, hey, the Tigers should trade for Jake Cronenworth. Woohoo. And he's a Michigan love- graduate too. So, well, there that'd be go. great. I'm sure people are tying in these. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's okay. That's technically, oh, he played over there. So he's got to play at the professional team over there. That whole deal. Okay. That's fine. Well, we got Robbie Grossman now, Mike. So everything's all set. Yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, he's serviceable. This is $10 million for two years. That's great. I'll take it. That's not crazy money. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Fine. He, he's Robbie Grossman. He'll have a, you'll pick him up at some point in your head to head cats league for like a couple weeks and he'll like fill a role and then you'll move on from him and we'll thank him for his service. Thank you, Robbie. Appreciate that. But I do know having Cronenworth on the Tigers would just create more confusion now because the Tigers are a mess that it is. And we're not here to talk about the Detroit Tigers. We're here to talk about fantasy baseball overall on the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo fantasy baseball podcast. I think we should switch gears. 
It's time to have a little bit of fun. We used to call it Inside Palazzo Studio. Now it's called, <laughs> get ready for this, Chris. You're going to have to wait this out. Enrico's Inquisition. Bryce Harper or Lenny Dykstra? Bryce Harper. Oceans or lakes? Which do you prefer? Lakes. Oceans terrify me. Scott Boris or Rob Manfred? I could do without hearing Scott Boris all the time on Twitter. Van Halen or Van Hagar? Oh, <laughs> Van Halen. Not Ooh. a contest. <laughs> Nelly, get ready for some doozies. Because it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, Enrico's Inquisition. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I recorded that today. It's new, so uh, just take that for what it is. But I thought, with Chris on the show, we'd play his number one song from Spotify in 2020. It was a very fitting song for the, tw- the year 2020. Yeah, it's the Mountain Goats, right? Uh, you can tell us more about this. You know more about it than I do, Chris. Yeah, the Mountain Goats uh, are John Darneal and occasionally some other folks. And this is the song... This year, off of their album, The Sunset Tree, I think from 2004. Great album. Uh, He's got a distinctive voice that uh, might not work for some people, but he did a performance of this song on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh, I think two years ago. And Stephen Colbert sings it with him, and it's his favorite song in the world, and it is just utterly delightful. I highly recommend you go watch it. It will make you feel joy. And the chorus of the song is, I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. Fitting, well, <laughs> fitting song for 2020, I think. <laughs> I would concur completely. I, I listened to some of uh, your top fives myself before the show, and I I know my chemical romance, so that's easy. You know, uh, I've been I mean, there. But I'm, I wasn't as big on the mountain goats, and I'd never heard of, uh, is it Mitski? Mitski, yes. Yeah, that was it's a new experience incredible. for me. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, I really liked it. Good. Two thumbs up for me. So, how do you spell I, that one, Mike? Mitski. Yeah, M-I-T-S-K-I. I'm always looking for new stuff. So, yeah, you, you should check out Chris's. What I did uh, in preparation for the show, like a professional, your, your research. Is, uh, I did. I uh, Twitter is just an endless. <laughs> it has our whole lives uh, available to anybody who's willing to go back a few months and look at some of the highlights. So, good stuff, man. I love. I love Spotify. I love that they do the end of the year thing. I think it's kind of cool because sometimes I don't know what I'm listening to all year. I think it's fun, you know? It's always it's always a good time. It's always fun to just compare. Uh, hey, here's the mood I was in in 2020, and it was like my top five. I think my top two songs were that song and I'm Not Okay. <laughs> I promise by My Chemical Romance. And so it's like, oh, yeah, that was that was the mood that I was in for we'll much see, of the 2020 calendar year we'll see what you get at the end of this year because i think we're all banking on this year being better hopefully it's hopefully it's a little more positive you know although it wouldn't bother me if it was those two songs again just because i love those two songs i mean a good song is a good song no matter the mood in my opinion but that's just me should we inquisition let's get to it here we go <laughs> Maybe Inquisition is too strong. I don't know. I, I meant it, it's inquisitive, right? It's not supposed to be like the Spanish Inquisition. So that's that, okay. was a so that was my question. I've been playing a lot of <laughs> Civilization Six lately, and you can do, uh, <laughs> you can do it in, in Inquisition. Uh, so I had some questions. Uh, 
yeah, I might, I might workshop this uh, before next week, but I whatever. Like, I like it. Stick with it. Make <laughs> people on their toes. Okay. Well, here we go. Right off the bat, uh, Boogie Nights or There Will Be Blood? Oh, There Will Be Blood. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. No brainer. Boogie Nights is good, but There Will Be Blood is, I think, uh, I don't know if it's Daniel Day-Lewis' best performance. Uh, there's probably like five contenders for it, but man, he's really, he's something in that movie. It's Bill my favorite Butcher, performance yeah. of his. Yeah. Is it your favorite? It's my, I, I absolutely love There Will it, Be Blood. I love Daniel Plainview so much. Uh, that's my favorite performance of this. It might be uh, Lincoln for me, but that's just because I'm a, I, like to tell you what kind of person I am, I dressed up as Abraham Lincoln for Halloween in second grade and recited from memory, the Gettysburg Address for my class. I had a lot of fun. I was really popular. <laughs> I used to be a high school uh, history teacher. I did it for five years. Before I was. This. I was. That was part a possible career plan for me. I think you took. You made the right call because you can still enjoy history Probably. and then maybe do something different that pays a little better. Yeah, I can play Civilization Six. Exactly. Exactly. And you can live out your fantasies. Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, Telecaster or Stratocaster? If you had to choose between those two, not saying they're your preferences, uh, probably Strat. It's a bit more versatile. You can you can do a little bit more, play a few more different styles. I do the the look of the the Telecaster, like the Bruce Springsteen Telecaster. You know, is one of the best looking guitars, but mm. Strat for playing. I, I'm with you there. All I wonder about this one. I, I don't know how this one will go. Uh, WW84, the movie, or Trevor Bauer. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, Trevor Bauer has more positive things going for him. He okay. is a good pitcher, yeah, he uh, is. and that means he has more going for him than than Wonder Woman eighty four did. <laughs> That's a it good answer. Good. It was not a good movie. I wanted it to be good. It was not. I I know I know it still bothers me. I we can't change it. It's done. It's not like we can rewrite the movie. We're moving forward. Um, how about? Green Day or Weezer? And I'm going to say, so I've actually, I think about this a lot. And <laughs> this is one of those things that like I, I try to talk to my wife about and she just like rolls her eyes and could not care less. And she's right to. Um, <laughs> but I think about both of those bands a lot. You know, the SNL skit where uh, Leslie Jones and Matt Damon are arguing over whether new Weezer or old Weezer is better. Uh, yes, I'm both of those people. Like, obviously, old Weezer's better, but I still like the White Album is good. I will throw on the cape for the White Album, and Maladroit is a great album. Uh, but it's Green Day because if you go back and listen to like what those two bands were singing about in like 1994 to 1997, and Weezer has not aged well. It is <laughs> some real toxic masculinity, like real like. Oh, I'm a nice guy, but girls don't like me. Girls suck. Like Pinkerton. Like, yeah, like Pinkerton. Pinkerton is like the, it's like a men's rights activist, like, uh, like anthem. Uh, whereas Green Day, if you actually go back, like Green Day has a lot of like really like forward thinking, progressive, uh, you know, songs about like gender identity and. And so I, I will throw like Dookie is an all time great album. American Idiot has aged way better than it had any right to. Yeah. So I'll throw on the cape for Green Day there. I didn't even like American Idiot. And I agree with you now. I do. 
completely. There you go. I was a Mike. Remember, I did a mad as hell on uh, Weezer last year. Oh yeah, that's you right. That? I talked about how much I hate New Weezer. Oh, yeah, yeah, there. I will like. There are certain things like the White Album. I legitimately think is like a pretty solid album. The <sighs> covers album was so bad. It yeah, was they were playing the weight on the radio like it was good. That was not <sighs> a no. Why would like? First of all, I didn't need it. Didn't need no. any of it. Didn't need Weezer covering No Scrubs at all. <laughs> <laughs> that was on there. I didn't even know. Did not, and, and like, I went and saw them on that tour. The Pixies opened for them. It was a really fun show. But then they played Africa, and like that got the biggest pop in the crowd. Wow. Like, this is like the most boring cover. Like this is boring karaoke. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. I'm sorry, but I. Maladroit wasn't bad. You're right. I'm gonna have to go back and revisit Maladroit. Maladroit I kind of dismissed it. Maladroit's kind of weird. It, it's it's more interesting than it gets credit for. Okay, fair enough. Interesting. Wow. Hey, we're getting a, a lot harder hitting answers than I ever imagined. That's a good thing. I don't know where this will come out for you because I know you like Star Wars. Uh, if it's Darth Maul or Darth Vader. Oh, Vader for sure. Oh, that's easy. Uh, okay, right. but Maul. Because Maul in the films is lame. Like, yeah, he looks cool, and then he like kills one guy, and then gets his, he gets beat up. Like, but I thought you might kind of ride for the you know Rebels and Clone he's Wars. He's amazing in Clone Wars and Rebels. He is such a like they totally redeem his character and actually make him worthy of how exciting he every, every how excited he he made everyone when they first unveiled that character. He is really good. This is the second time I've talked about. Uh, Clone Wars and Rebels on a baseball podcast this week, so oh. <laughs> right in my wheelhouse. Oh, I've got yeah. my I've got my Ahsoka pop toy. Oh, <laughs> well, perfect. Uh, Ahsoka or Black Widow? Oh, Ahsoka. Yeah, my favorite Star Wars character. One of my favorite characters in any fiction. I, so Ahsoka's the best. Mando season two. You were probably just like I finally was, in I real was. life form. Stayed up until three in the morning to make sure I saw it. It's that's one of the shows my wife and I watched every week together. But that one, I was like, "You go to bed. I have to watch this. I can't have it spoiled. <laughs> I can't have people like post. I, I gotta see. You. I gotta watch it myself." I love you. I do, but I'm, I, I'm sorry. I just yeah. have to do this. It was yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, shoot, I didn't even ask Deary. Did you watch Mando season two yet? No, I'm I'm still waiting on Christina. We got oh, to, we we're got assholes. To, yeah, no, no, you're not because it's gone. It's gone too far. It's just gone too far. We've waited too long. <sighs> it's tough to avoid the spoilers on that show because it's such a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe, th- maybe this weekend. I, I go back to work on Monday. So if you haven't had the last episode spoiled for you, then I, mean, I haven't. That's that's, 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 oh, that's, impressive, that's actually right? what what you guys just talked about is the first thing that's been spoiled for me, and it's not even that big of a deal to me. So oh, we didn't really say well, anything. I'm sorry, I'm yeah, sorry to everyone listening. Maybe put a we'll put a warning before that for the other people. Listening. <laughs> you're good. You're good. You're right. We do need to be because I don't know about you, Mister Towers, but I do not like to be spoiled if I can avoid it. Yeah, but I also make the effort to go out of my way to if I'm behind the times on something, I gotta lock myself out and like shut down social media, do what I gotta do. My wife gets really annoyed because I I will sometimes like for like and Avengers Endgame, I looked up we went and saw it opening night, all that, but I, I went and saw what happened. I get like, <laughs> I get like you can't help yourself. I've got ADHD and anxiety, and so it's just like a bad combination of like I can't wait to find out what's gonna happen. I can't sit through two and a half hours of a movie. I do the I do the same thing with movies like Force Awakens. I already knew that Han Han goes. Well, that one somebody posted on on Twitter. So that oh. one 
it's my thing is like if i choose that that's fine if someone spoils it for me then you're just being a dick i agree well said sir well said how about the beach side or if you're taking a vacation beach side or would you go like summer in the woods in a cabin anywhere but the beach okay and i'm from south florida and i i hate i agree with anakin skywalker i hate sand <laughs> so coarse gets so everywhere coarse and rough it gets everywhere <laughs> That, all right, so summertime in the cabin, in the woods, it's a good time. You can have a fire, you can sit out. It's great. It's yeah. it's Michigan summers are good here. So. Never we do have Mich- beaches. Never been to Michigan. Oh, never, wow. Never Not been walking. to Michigan. Okay. Beautiful. I've been to Minnesota. That's, that's right there, right? That's the land of 10,000 lakes. We just have the Great Lakes, so that's yeah. the only difference. That's just a quantity versus quantity thing. <laughs> it quality is. Uh, Wilco or Big Thief? Oh, Wilco. That's my favorite band ever. Oh, I thought maybe that'd be a challenge. I actually changed the Wilco Orr a couple of times. I thought maybe Big Thief would give you a run for your money, but I was wrong. And that's what I learned. Good to know. That was was like the first, like, I was like 13 when I discovered them. And that was like the first, like, non-pop punk slash classic rock band that I listened to. So. Sandy Alcantara or Pablo Lopez? Pablo. Pablo. Although Sandy, man, he's it partially it's because he's proven me wrong in a <laughs> real way. I really didn't. I thought he was Daniel Cabrera. <laughs> oh, like, I wow. hated that trade when they made it. I thought that was such a bad return and he's made me look really dumb. So partially it's uh, bitterness. Bitterness. Yeah. OK, I can respect that. I love throwing in some bitterness myself. Uh, Subway or ride share, you know, Uber, Lyft, whatever. Okay, I thought it was the sandwich. Yes. So, uh, no, yeah, sorry. The actual I'm like, trains. rideshare makes a sandwich? What are we talking about here, Mike? It's a New York secret. Definitely Subway. I miss it. Okay. I miss the Subway. I've had some good times on the Subway. I've, when... I've been on the Subway like twice in the last nine months. So, <laughs> so like no, one, no one's even using the Subway either, or is it just you? I just don't, I don't have any reason to go into the city anymore. Mm-hmm. And so... It, where I live in Brooklyn, you can't really get anywhere else in Brooklyn in the subway anyway. You have to go into Manhattan, and it's like a whole thing. Uh, so the only time I ever really took the subway was to go into the city, and I've gone into the city twice, maybe three times since all this started. Is uh, is Barcade still open? Oh, is that in Williamsburg? I don't I think thought... I've ever been there. Okay, yeah, I think it's in Brooklyn, I'm for sure. I know that. Well, uh... The thing I learned this year, well, in moving here, Brooklyn is so much bigger than, like, anybody who's not familiar with the area realizes. Because, like, when there were all the protests and stuff happening early in the year, or, like, when the coronavirus outbreak was first happening in, like, you know, like, downtown Brooklyn, like, Dumbo, and people were like, how are things? And it's like, I don't know, that's, like, a that's like two miles away from me, and in New York, that's, like, 20 miles I, that's that's a whole different part of the world for me. You know, that was also 2008 too. It's been 12 years. It could be gone now too. So it was, you know, it's your standard. It was one of the first. And New York always does things first, right? But it was one of the first bars with uh, quarter arcades and beer and stuff. So. Okay. No, I've never been there. I need to look it up now. Yeah, it was fun. I hope it's still open. I had a great time there playing some ghouls and ghosts, I think. Or was it ghosts and goblins? I can't remember. I doubt it survived the pandemic. Well, that sucks. That's like a that's a whole other story. Um, uh, snark or sticky notes? I don't know what snark is. Yeah, you do. Just like a snark. The, a snark a that s- you would tune your guitar with? Oh, I have no idea. 
What? I I swore I saw a picture of one on your guitar. Damn it! I was like, oh, is that like, oh, oh, oh? I okay, yes, yes. Now I I forgot that's what that's called. It's a look. I love it. It's great. Great invention. It's a little thing you clip on your guitar. Helps you tune it. Vibration only. Yeah. Really lovely. Uh, I now I also have to admit that I don't know what sticky notes are besides like the piece of paper. Is that what they call them? I don't even know. Yeah, just the pad with the sticky notes that you rip off oh, and stick Sark. on the walls. So. Sark, I've never used a sticky note. Neither do I. I, I haven't I handwritten know. something in like 12 years. I know. I, I should have come up with something better than that. Snarks are cool, though. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about snarks. because I love it. It's, it's a great event. It is, and they're cheap, and they're wonderful. You can take them anywhere. Very useful. Sounds like a villain on some uh, crazy cartoon or something. I thought you meant like actually being snarky. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad he explained it more. <laughs> and I would pick that. <laughs> well, there was well, there was Snarf who was on the. Uh, <laughs> what cartoon was that? Cat? That was yeah. like the cat. Uh, Snarf. Cat, right? Wasn't that his name from yeah, Smurfs? I, yeah, was that the well, was that the name of the cat? No, that was uh, Ezreal was the cat. Yeah, Ezreal. Uh, okay. Snarf is a '80s cartoon cat. If anybody knows, Palazzo Podcast, protonmail.com. Send it in. Uh, <laughs> Mike, Cal- you're think- Mike, you're thinking of Smarf on uh, Too Many Cooks. Is that what <laughs> that might be what we're thinking of? Oh God, we don't need that earworm in our brains, dear Lord. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one too, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, the Far Side Comics or Calvin and Hobbes? Uh, I got my my Calvin and Hobbes tattoo right here. I do love Far Side. I was a big; uh, those were my two comics growing up as a kid. But Far Side Calvin great. and Hobbes is uh, is number one for me. Yeah, it's no disrespect to the Far Side. No, I just know that all. you're a huge you love Kevin Hobbes. No disrespect to our guy Gary Larson. No, not at all. They both they both included animals in their comics, and that's a good thing. Weird Al Yankovic or Tenacious D? Oh, boy. Man, I think it's Tenacious D, but it feels a little disrespectful. Weird Al's a legend. Yeah. Uh, because he's the only good thing about Weezer's Africa cover. Is The, <laughs> the video for that is a shot-for-shot remake of the video for the sweater song. Except it's Weird Al Yankovic playing every member of Weezer. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's it's actually like just mute it and put something else on. It's very. <laughs> I, I love Weird Al. No disrespect, but the first Tenacious D album is a is a classic. Still holds up. And Weird Al's a yeah. They're both brought so much comedy and great music. I thought it was an interesting comparison. Still make they both still make me laugh so much. Yeah. I, I will never be too old to not laugh at, uh, at like Amish Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm fine with that. Or the, uh, uh, what is it? The uh, the Anakin song, the Star Wars song he did was so funny. Yeah, that's a great one too. I forgot about that one. Um, what about the Cure of the Smiths? Uh, Cure. Oh, easy call. Okay. Yeah. Prefer them musically, and uh, Robert Smith uh, doesn't suck, and uh, Morrissey does. So he does. He <laughs> really he does. I don't think he's, ter- he's a terrible person, but I yeah, he's I just awful. Spits. So uh, he is a terrible person. He is. But, like I, I like the music, but uh, you know the cure's great too. So I'll right. just go with them. You don't have to hate anyone or loathe exactly. anybody that you. Although you might be loathing something while you're listening to the yeah, cure, which is usually yourself. Yeah, <laughs> which perfectly fine with. I'm comfortable in that no, uh, mode as well. It's hilarious because for for Christmas I got a Cure album and I got a Morrissey album. So, there you go. wait, 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 wait. Uh, non Smith, just a Morrissey album? 
Yeah, I got his first uh, album, Viva Hate, Christina got for me, and then she got me uh, Head on the Door from The Cure from 85. Oh. It's a great album. That's a great album, yeah. I, I take umbrage with the Morrissey album, but that's okay. That's fine. Uh, puppies or adult dogs? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I'm not going to pick. I knew it. Because the thing is, you pick puppies, eventually they turn into adult dogs anyway. So you get both. Ah, okay, you found a workaround. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Uh, somebody to love or crazy little thing called love? Um, somebody to love. I think that is, uh, I think that might be the best Queen song. Wow. Somebody to love. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Mando season one or two? I think season two. Yeah. You don't have to stay away from spoilers. You can go full. No, we don't say, no, it's... (laughs) He knows. He knew what the truth was. I think it's season two, but uh, yeah. season one like got me back into Star Wars. Like I, after last year, uh, not the yeah. last Jedi, the, the last one. Trash. Yeah, the Rise trilogy. The whole trilogy is a joke, but whatever. Yeah, the Rise of Skywalker. After that, I was like, I'm done with this. This sucks. And <laughs> then Mando season one, I was like, all right, well now I'm gonna check out Clone Wars, and and then it just yeah, the, this whole year has just been like Star Wars revival for me. It's entirely because of Mando. Hell yes. I like to hear that. We should thank John Favreau, Dave Filoni, every, all those, everybody who did all the work on those two seasons. They're both great, but I, th- I think season one deserves that credit for re- in instilling hope because people really did think it was over, and I don't think we should yeah. underestimate that. That's a good point. Uh, a couple more that we'll wrap this segment up. Uh, Big Lebowski or any other Coen Brothers movie? Oh, boy. It's a lot. Uh... No country. I, I don't know if No Country for Old Men is my favorite movie because God, what a depressing favorite movie that would be. Uh, but I think it's the best movie ever made. Wow. In my opinion. Like, I think that movie is pretty much perfect. I can only watch it like a couple times a year. But yeah, I, I that movie is just it's it's it stays with me every time. Everything about it. I love it. Man, I like depressing shit, but. <laughs> um yeah like even it's not that even, it's a, you know. like the ending where where uh what's his name uh oh god oh the old uh, guy Javi, oh tommy lee jones yeah tommy lee jones when he talks about the like dreams and then it just kind of ends it's kind of movie where it's just like oh was that the ending nothing happened yes exactly i i love it every it's so it's bleak and i just love that movie so much yeah i might watch it tonight <laughs> oh, now you're just rubbing it in. Deary, break the tie on this. Come on. It's No Country for Old Men. It's a great movie? It's a great I, movie, and I like it more than Lebowski. I've watched it more than Lebowski. As much as I, I love Lebowski, in the last five years, I probably watch No Country for Old Men four or five times a year. I think Lebowski's number three. I Ooh, think I go Fargo. What's two? Fargo. I think Fargo's yeah. yeah. Fargo's pretty much. I mean, all three of those are pretty much perfect in their own way. Yeah, that's uh, but yeah, I think Lebowski might be three. Hey, it's no Hail Caesar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> I've seen it. It's actually not bad. The Coen Brothers, they do good stuff. I never saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs either. But anyways, I digress. Uh, Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer? I would go with right now, career. See, that's the thing. You can put any connotation on okay. it. Okay, so I'll go with uh, Scherzer. Hmm. I think it was better at, at their respective peaks. I think Scherzer was a little better. Wow. 
Uh, all we think about is they were on the same team and we broke it up. That's what we think about around here. Uh, uh, hard? Would you use hard hit rate or barrel percentage if you had to choose between the two? Um, I think I would go with. I think I would go with hard hit rate. Just it, it's a little easier to explain. And I think a big part of when you're when you're using stats, uh, especially advanced stats, you have to communicate in a language that the audience understands. And, you know, certain audiences know barrel rate. But if you're talking to a general audience, you're going to have to explain, well, barrel rate is all batted balls between a certain <laughs> exit velocity range and a certain launch angle range, which historically have turned into hits per x percent and it's just like hard hit rate he hit the ball 95 miles per hour this many times divided by his total at bats it's just it's so much easier to communicate with people with a stat like that even if barrel rate is more predictive or you know what have you tells you a better tells you a more complete story man that is a great nugget of info i'm so glad i asked that what about ozzy smith or omar vizquel Ozzy Smith. Yeah. It's not even close. I knew the answer. I, I don't even know how Omar Vizquel got put in that conversation. I just no, he is in the news in the last week. Uh, I'm, one night, Chris was like saying this is ridiculous on Twitter, and it just stuck in my head, so I asked him. It, just, <laughs> it blows my mind that, like, uh, the Omar Vizquel thing, like, he finished in the – he got an MVP vote. He was on a ballot one time in his 24-year career. And you're going to tell me that, like, all of a sudden, yeah, we think this guy's a Hall of Famer. We always thought this guy was a Hall of Famer. East Asia has always been at war with your age. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) It's utterly ridiculous that Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland aren't going to get in the Hall of Fame, but Omar Vizquel might. It's absurd. Uh, Sliders or curveball? Sliders. You love a good slider. I can't deny that. Uh, in the airplane over the sea or the farmer's daughter? Airplane over the sea. Hmm. Okay. And then finally, for love or money? I don't know. You can always find more love. <laughs> <laughs> this is two weeks in a row, right? Wow. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you, you give me the choice of an intangible thing or a tangible thing. Like, I don't know how much love I have in my life, but I know I have X number of bills that X amount of money would cover. This is the best <laughs> explanation we've gotten. Thank so, you, Chris. You're welcome. Beautiful. Wow. Yes. Very poignant. And, uh, pff, man. I'm going to be thinking about some of this stuff for, like, weeks. <laughs> Very well done, Chris Towers. You pass with flying colors. We appreciate you having a little fun with us on the, Thank what you. am I calling? The Inquisition. Enrico's Inquisition, whatever the hell I'm calling it. So, Well done. Uh, this is Palazzo Podcast presented by Rotofanatic.com. Don't forget, the brand-new Data Monster you can break down. Who do you like better, Scherzer or Verlander? Put it in the Data Monster and find out for yourself okay i got some questions to ask you about fantasy we'll talk about some early bounce backs then we'll get out of here sound good okay let's do it okay so you're the first in this series and i'm trying to do a uniform kind of approach where i ask i'll be asking the same questions to a lot of different guests and analysts so we can kind of get a database if you will of 
kind of uniform answers to that could vary. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. So let's start with this. Without revealing too much, Chris, what are some of the first things you do when you sit down at the beginning of a new season of, for draft prep? Is there like one thing or two things you're like, all right, this is what I got to do first? Yeah, for me, it's I, I try to, um, you know, my the start of, so like the start of building my rankings, what I did was I went and looked at, you know, NFBC, ADP, as many, basically as many resources I could get of what other people, you know, mock draft, the two early mock drafts on fan graphs, NFBC, ADP, uh, you know, various rankings, various projection systems, and kind of throw them all together. And that was like my starting point for my rankings. And then I'm going to, you know, go from there. But, um, you know, partially that's just because anytime you look at any rating of projection systems for accuracy, anything that takes a bunch of different sources of data and puts them together tends to perform better than any individual. And uh, I am not so confident in my ability to predict the future that I think I can beat that. So that that's a, that's the way I start that. That's at least where I get my, uh, my sanity check, I guess. I think it kind of takes a lot of the work out of it for you too, to at least guide you in the right. Also, right way. yeah, it helped me put the <laughs> list together, you know, yeah. Make sure I don't forget anything. I can, I can, I, I can put together a list of thirty names and then forget, you know, five people pretty easily. So it, it's also a safeguard against that. <laughs> Do mock drafts help you? Yeah, yeah. It's not just um, one. It's another sanity check for your own rankings. If you're the, if you say that a player is the seventieth best best player and you do ten mock drafts and he never goes. You draft well, even if you draft him at 70th 10 times, you probably need to start waiting for that player. <laughs> uh, unless you are just hundred percent sure that guy's gonna be better than everybody else thinks. But yeah, I think I think the process of actually having concrete examples of where players are being drafted, I think that's always gonna help. I agree. You can I think mocks are great places to make mistakes so you don't make them when you do the real thing. Because if you want to try out some different maneuvers, I, I this is an argument that Scott White and I have every year, and I think I've started like moving him towards my side. But he got really like kind of personally offended once when uh, Heath Cummings and I told him that we use mock drafts to just like try stuff out and say like, <laughs> okay, in this one I'm gonna go like, like he's all he his thought process was I'm just gonna try to build the best team I can every time, and I'm like, well. I don't know what the best way to build a team is like a dra Every draft is different and you need to know, like, can I wait? Like, do I have to draft a starting pitcher early or is it possible to wait and still feel good about it? Or Which position you're at third yeah, exactly. tenth, yeah. like it, that you want to test things out. It's a, it's a proving ground basically. And, and you can say, you know, this style of team or this, you know, you can do those different things. And I think that's, you know, we'll, we'll end up doing, probably 25, 30 mock drafts between now and the start of the season. We pretty much do like two a week for uh, every month, every week until the start of the season. And so that's a, uh, yeah, it's super helpful. You know, you reach the end and it's always fun because then that last weekend before the season starts or that last like four days before the draft, all of it gets thrown out of the window and everybody just takes guys where they want to anyway. Uh, <laughs> which is always a fun part of both baseball and football. It's just like, like I remember football season, everyone was like, Ooh, Antonio Gibson. I, I like him as like a ninth rounder. And then that last weekend of the season, everyone was like, he was going in the fourth round, fifth round. <laughs> grass. And like, that's just, that's kind of how it happens. But, you know, it's good to have that base to build on at least. 
we did uh, September, no, October, November, December, and now a January mock for Rotofanatic every month. And I've tried something different, different positions each time, and I'm learning something new. So I just know that to be a certain. I, yeah. I, Scott White is a I, someone I respect well, he, immensely. We've moved, we've moved him a little bit to our <laughs> like he'll 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 tell us now like okay yeah this was one where I was trying to not draft pitchers and he always hates that. <laughs> okay, wow, Man, I'm telling you, I am learning so much on this show today. That's why I love doing this because I get to learn. Um, the first thing you do, we got that mock drafts useful what about is there one person i mean you do shows with people like scott white is he a person or is there another entity besides yourself that you trust for fantasy advice yeah it's definitely scott i mean uh, just the fact that we you know get to talk all the time and he's actually spending his whole year focusing on fantasy baseball um you know I, that's he know like he's someone that like if i have a question I'll go to him if I'm, you know, is this crazy? Am I stupid? Uh, But, you know, there's a million brilliant people in the fantasy baseball industry and everybody's super nice and super helpful. And, you know, like Eno Saris, anything about pitching, if Eno Saris is talking about it, he's probably right. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to about getting back into the analyst role is uh, writing something and getting 80% of the way done and seeing that Eno Saris just, uh, published a story about it that's better than anything I could have done, <laughs> which seemed to happen like twice a week back when I was writing full time about baseball. So I'm I'm excited for for that to to come back. Uh, Can't wait. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah you know, Al Melchior, who I also used to work with. Uh, just oh, yeah, we love it. We had Al on a couple months ago. It was one he of the brilliant. Love Al. He's amazing. I've gotten yeah, to know him a little great. bit recently. I'm very grateful. Al, yeah. you're the man. We love you. Um, I could have broke this down better, so I don't know if I like it, but I, the original question was five most important statistical tools to you, but you know, is it hitting, is it pitching? And I don't want to get too in the weeds. So I don't, maybe, could you do like a top three for hitting and pitching that are like the three statistical tools you'd like to rely on? Uh, sure. Sure. For hitting, I guess it's probably as simple as like strikeout rate, uh, some kind of quality of contact, whether you want it to be barrel rate or hard hit rate or, or something like that. And, uh, gosh, I don't know. There's a lot. (laughs) There is. I know. This is why, Um, I mean, we can make it more, but it's just like, there's so many tools out there. It gets exhausting for listeners. I really feel that even though, like you said, there are people doing incredible work. Alex Chamberlain, another, he came out with another article today that was outstanding. It's just always like smarter than anything I could ever even think of. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess like a good projection system, you know, Pakoda or, you know, that that's always something that I want to you know, check against as well. Um, okay. Cause I find it, I find it really interesting. The, the projection systems that, you know, do and don't take into the stack, the stack cast data and all that stuff into account. Um, I think there's a lot of really fascinating things that come from this idea that we have so much information, you know, like all these pitching stats, that like, you know, caught and caught and swinging strike rate and uh <laughs> every time i see it i think it's chicago chicago white Sox rate. <laughs> uh, 
That's just where my brain goes every time I see it. Uh, and, I'm sure Alex loves that. <laughs> and all these different things. And 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 one thing that I, I think is really interesting is like we've gotten so 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 much better at all these different things. And then uh, when you get back to it, like FIP and XFIP, which are super simple, still do a pretty good job. And I find that really interesting for pitching is that. Uh, they're not perfect by any means, but you know, all of the advances that we've made, a lot of it's been incremental. And, and I think there's something valuable in that, like that fundamental truth of like pitchers have more control over batted balls than we thought previously, but that still goes a long way. And so, you know, I still look at like, did this guy per- outperform his peripherals by a lot? If he did, it's not just, well, he's going to regress. You know, it's not just he's going to be worse. But then that's when you go into it and say, okay, what happened? Is he Kyle Hendricks and he's just really, really good at inducing weak contact consistently? Is it, uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's someone that I can think of that I'm not thinking of right now. <laughs> Uh, to make another point, like someone who performs worse with runners on base or, uh, you know, has big, you know, split issues or something like you, you always, it's a good place to start with pitching. And then I go deeper. And so that's always, it's not really like, are there three stats that I go to? It's what, what looks interesting about this person and where do I need to follow? I think is is the way I would put it. What what other tools in terms of pitching do you kind of go to besides the FIP and XFIP? Because uh, for myself, I think pitching is the most confusing. The deeper I go within it, yeah, you can. I think you can lose the the forest for the trees, or is that, yeah. yeah, that's probably the right way to phrase that. Um, you can go so in depth that you can forget. Um, like I, I think there there's there's been a movement so much towards like the pitch level analysis and the pitch level data that is super helpful and super fascinating. And one of the things that's super helpful about it is that it stabilizes so much quicker. But then I think there's, there are times when we'll look at it and say, going into 2020, everybody really liked Shamanaya as a breakout. It was like, wow, Shamanaya, he was going like 160th overall on ADP. And this was a guy who, you know, even when he had thrown, was coming off like 150 inning seasons, had never been that guy. Uh, and it was because he had this amazing 32 inning stretch in 20 at the end of 2018, where he had like 39 strikeouts. And he looked and it was like, and it was all like, well, he was throwing the slider more and specifically throwing the slider down and away more. And he was getting more. And it's like, yes. All of that is true, but it's 32 innings. And I think there can be a tendency to uh, to lose some of the fundamental truths uh, that we know because we can go so deep. And, and I think that's um, – what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what how I got so you, you went exactly what I end up doing. You get so deep into the, the yeah, like I think level that, analytics. Yeah, I think that like you can – you can go so deep, but sometimes you just got to dumb it down. You have to you have to balance uh, individual level analysis with population level analysis, I think is the way I would put it, and say, 
Yes, there are outliers, but generally speaking, if a pitcher throws 32 innings that are way better than anything he's ever done, and it was only those 32 innings, you can look for reasons why that's true. And maybe it will be true of Drew Smiley this year because he's this year's version of that. Um, We've already been there over here. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) The most likely you will never go. You won't go broke in the long run betting against that. You won't go broke in the long run betting against the small sample size superstar. Yep. Uh, You might miss occasionally. Maybe Drew Smiley will be one of those. But there are, you don't, you don't want to talk yourself into, like you have to have a really compelling reason to buck those trends. Uh, The guy who we, you know, generally considered, responsible for creating the data monster at roadfanatic.com. Paul Mamino is a very smart guy and he um I bet it's him. He is a uh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, he and he is um oh my god, now I don't know what my point was. Yeah, my oh, he loves Drew Smiley. That's what it was. Jeez. Yeah, he's <laughs> super into Drew Smiley right now and he's very excited about him in 2021. So, uh, Paul's a smart dude. I, yeah, like that's the thing is that there are a lot like I I don't think I'm the dumbest guy in the world, but I'm certainly not the smartest. And there are many smarter people than me who believe a lot of the thing, a lot of things that I don't believe and they have good reasons to. And so I also, you know, you try to be humble and listen to the things that other people say too. So having said that, then with 2021 coming off the 60 game season, nobody could throw a hundred innings, barely maybe a very, very select few were able to even come close to that. What, do you do how are you approaching this because this is one of the most fundamental bafflers for me because we don't know how it's going to play out even if the season is shortened like we said earlier it'll be longer these arms are they're tender and sensitive and are, are you relying on someone like a zach grinky who you know has already shown you a track record of throwing a lot of innings over many many years so he could probably get over this little short season we had or how are you looking at it so far yeah, I think um, I, there, there's no easy answer. I, I think there a isn't. general, a general like kind of rule of thumb that I've been going with is like wait 2020 half of what you would of what you wait 2019. So like when I put together, um, you know, like a weighted ranking for the last three seasons, just to like here's what's happened the last few years. I did two two points for, you know, double weight for 2019 results, half for, for 2020. And, you know, I think you could argue it should be 1.5 to one or three to one or whatever. But I think generally speaking, you should have much more skepticism of 2020 than uh, you normally would have the previous season. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that we're always going to overreact to the most recent season. Uh, and if you're talking about a guy with a five-year career who's 28 years old, you know, the most recent season doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, who they are for real. It's usually the best indicator of where a player's talent level is. But, uh, you know, we use three-year averages a lot for a reason. And it's because even a 162-game season is not necessarily... Uh, a large enough sample size to tease out all the things that we need to know about a player. You know, that's not necessarily, um, you know, telling us that, you know, what their true talent level is. A lot can change in a 160 game season and a 60 game season. You know, there are certain stats that can stabilize in a 60 game season, but 
even a stat stabilizing doesn't necessarily mean that stat is perfect. And, uh, you know, like a, a guy who made a big change in his strikeout rate in 2020. Well, sometimes we see just, you know, Cody Bellinger for the first 50 games of the 2019 season was one of the best contact hitters in baseball. He still improved from that point on, you know, but he went from like a 14% strikeout rate guy in the first two months of 2019 to like an 18%. And that was probably more indicative of who he was at that point and moving forward. And so I think you really need to be, you need to be very skeptical of, uh, of the 2020 season. Okay. For better or for worse. Got it. Yeah. And look, there's going to be some things you miss if you, if you're too skeptical. And I think you just got to live with that. <laughs> I want perfection 24 seven, Mr. Towers. Okay. That is, well, that is what people who listen to fantasy podcasts want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, being a newbie, I've been doing this for about a year now. I've learned some of that. There's some painful lessons I learned about um, taking too seriously. The advice you give out, like if it doesn't work out, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I let you down. I'm sorry. And they get the mad. Only thing, the only thing for me is just if you have a process and it turns out to be wrong and people tell you you were dumb for having that process, that's the only thing that bothers me. It's like, if I said something, if I believed something stupid, take me, take me to the woodworks. Like that's, I am fine with that. Call me stupid when I'm being stupid. Yeah. But if like, it's just something happened, like sometimes things happen. Sometimes you have the right process and you're still wrong. And that's going to happen a lot more this year than ever before. And so hopefully the people listening have a little grace. Uh, this We're, making year predictions. We're making predictions about human beings here. I mean, we, we can't control right. it all. <laughs> right. There's a lot of stuff that happens with these guys that we don't even know about. That yes, uh, that that was that was one of the big takeaways that Mike and I talked about last year during the pandemic season is just like we don't know what's going on mentally with half of these guys. So how the hell can we predict what they're going to do next week against the Mets? Yeah, like Scott Kingery has definitely talked about how he just like never felt like he was at full strength, and I think on Makata talked about that as well. Yeah, uh, you know these guys who like what is. What do we do with Yohan Mankata, who was amazing in 2019, had this big breakout, and then 2020 appeared to turn back into the guy he was pre-2019? Was that just because 2019 was a fluke? Was that because he had coronavirus? I think the answer could be either one. It could also just be that he had bad 40-something games. Yes. Um, it's going to be the hardest year ever, I think, to aim Really? Wow, that is not good news for us. But no, I'm glad you said that, though, because that's honest. I prefer the honest truth. So. Yeah, it's I, at, at certain points, all you can try to be is honest. Uh, you oh, know, we, we only know so much here. Pride myself on my genuine honesty, because that's all I got, because I can't predict everything, even though there's some people who do an amazing job at it. And I saw Chris from Baseball Pods. Great dude. like Chris yeah. a lot. And he was having a little debate about K percentage versus K9 and why should he, you know, steer clear of K9 and focus on K percentage. And I think it's pretty obvious. Is, would it be obvious to you that K percentage gives us a better indicator of how the pitcher's actually pitching versus K9? Yeah, the the uh, analogy or the, the example I used uh, in response to that was just you have two pitchers who pitched one inning. They both got one strikeout. One of them gave up a home run. One of them retired the side in order. They both have a K per nine of nine. 
One has a K percentage of 33%. The other has a K percentage of 25%. Now, over the course of a 200-inning season, that doesn't matter so much. You have to be talking about really, really significant differences in WHIP for the difference between K per nine and K percentage to really matter. But in a 60-game season, where the sample sizes are very small and where four extra hits you know, is probably going to have a, a somewhat significant impact on your WHIP, uh, and whip is the primary thing that would fuel the difference between K per nine and K percentage. Uh, you know, it could matter and K per nine could overstate or understate how good someone is at striking out six of Sanchez in the minors was actually a pretty good example of someone who was consistently right around like eight K per nine. It was like, well, this guy's pretty, you know, mediocre. And if you actually look at the K percentage, it was actually more like 24 to 20, you know, 23 to 24%. It was actually slightly above average. It was just he was so efficient that K per nine didn't necessarily, and the sample sizes were small, that K per nine didn't necessarily, uh, you know, catch how, you know, at least above average he was as a strikeout pitcher. That is top-notch analysis, folks, from Chris Towers on the Plaza Podcast here. Two L's, two Z's. Plaza Podcast on Twitter. We're talking about how Chris views fantasy baseball. We're trying to get to the bare bones of it. And... We talked about, you know, ADP and projection systems, too. We've kind of covered that during the course of this podcast, his favorite league to play in. Uh, we Sleeper versus breakout, that doesn't really matter. I don't think that's an important question. I mean, who cares, right? It's someone who's done something more than they didn't do the previous year. And whether you call him a sleeper or a breakout, I think you're just arguing over... I'll know. never... It's all semantic, but I'll never forgive my, for my colleagues for... Uh, 2017 Giancarlo Stanton, the year he won MVP. I wanted him, I wanted to include him in my, it was either my breakout or I think it was my breakouts call. I wanted to include him there and uh, everyone talked me out of it. And that would have been such a great call. <sighs> Established player puts together one of the best home run seasons of all time. And they, I let them talk me out of it. So <laughs> from now on, I've decided I'm going to use whatever. Because uh, ultimately, it's just an excuse to talk about different players. Exactly. And it's, breakout you know, means like a big, not just a sleeper season. It's like, hey, like that kind of season. And I think a, MVP season. A sleeper season could be someone drafted in the seventh round if he should be drafted higher. That's the way I view it. I, I think you can get a sleeper or a breakout from any part of the draft. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, analytics are expanding constantly, like we say all the time. And is there a certain point here where you keep adding metrics i mean we've talked about that in a sense but launch angle barrels exit velocity and then diving deeper into those stats is it worth it to you personally i'm not asking you for other people but i think i know the answer here because you kind of talked about it already but it's not really worth it to you personally to go deeper into those stats is it oh i, I don't want to make it seem like i because i do go into all that stuff and, and when but you're, you're talking, talking about like, how you present it then not just what you do personally yeah well i think you there is uh you know, the, the audience that's listening to fantasy sports uh, talk especially is, you know, more knowledgeable about this stuff than the average sports audience. And it's definitely more knowledgeable than the average fantasy audience was five years ago. Um, and so, you know, I, I definitely do include a lot of that stuff. And it's a big part. Like, I am very much into the advanced stats. It's just, um, you know, you I, I just you try to use it judiciously and you try not to get away from, uh, you know, some common sense applications of, of things. 
while doing that. And I, I certainly fail at that also. <laughs> and, you know, I think you do run into with, with the advanced stats, you can talk yourself into like, here's why I'm right. You know, like there's, there can be a lot of room for that. There's a lot of like, I decided I like this player. Now let's go find the reasons for it. And this gives us more reasons than ever. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. And lastly, uh, what about separating injury risk versus injury prone? Is there a way to do that? Or is it just <laughs> definition specialties for depending on the analyst? Uh, I am famously probably less concerned about injury than basically anyone uh, to the point where I will draft Giancarlo Stan every season. <laughs> and I will argue that Giancarlo Stan has just had bad luck. And I'm probably stupid for that. But didn't but, you write an article about he might be too big too and the players that are that size? There is some evidence that players who are that size, you know, like Jose Abreu is one of the rare examples of a guy who is, I think it was 240 pounds or more. There are very few seasons of guys like that playing 150 games. However, there are very few seasons before the last 10 years of guys like that, period. You know, there weren't that many guys listed at 240 pounds. Um, and partially that's because, like... Matt Stairs? Like, I don't think Mark uh, McGuire... sorry, that was wasn't listed. cool. <laughs> I don't think Mark, or Mark McGuire was ever listed at 240. No. But he was clearly playing at 240 or much bigger in the later part of his career. And he actually struggled to stay healthy a lot. He was about 180 when he came into the league. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was real. He was super strong, but he was very skinny. Um, yeah. And so what I struggle with with the injury-prone question is uh, everything we do is so quantified. You know, we are so smart, and we, we you know, use the scientific method and all of our, like, the, the fantasy baseball and sports world as a whole, especially the public side is so smart and we quantify everything we say you know this this batted ball had a 97 percent chance of being a hit yeah and then with injuries it's just like well i remember him being hurt and that's kind of how we analyze injuries it's like if a guy gets hurt on april 7th and misses four months we will make that that guy will be more injury prone in our collective heads than the guy who gets hurt on september 15th and misses four months there's no difference in those two things, but one of them impacted us more. And one of, and so I think the problem is that when we talk about injuries, it's like the only place where we're still in the dark ages collectively. Uh, you know, I think we've been there. There are things that like you, there are websites that track injuries and give, you know, predictions of injury risk and performance risk and, you know, again, it's another thing. There are very smart people behind those things. Uh, but I just struggle with something like Giancarlo Stanton can't stay healthy. When, like, the big injuries for him were, like, when he was with the Marlins, it was, like, a groin injury one year. It was a knee injury another year. He broke his hand one year, and then he got hit in the face with a pitch. None of those are connected to each other. So I don't know how, like, it. maybe he's just too big. But like getting hit in the head with a pitch does not, that has nothing to do with anything else. That is just Mike fires threw up and in. Uh, and so that is, that's a thing I, I struggle with. Um, and it, it, it's something that I've just kind of resigned myself to being, to looking dumb about occasionally. 
uh, <laughs> and um, you know, hopefully it works out. And I, I still think drafting injured players when they are when they're being like, there's double discounts, I guess. Uh, like there are like Corey Seager last year was being discounted for, well, we don't know if he's that good and for injury risk, but those two things are connected. Corey Seager wasn't that good in 2019 because he was coming back from Tommy John surgery because he was coming back from hip surgery. And if you looked at it after that first month of the season, he basically had the same season he did in 2020. He was on pace for like 140 RBI, 25 home runs, 50 something doubles. Like he was awesome. It just took him a little while. And so that's what I would say is you look for the places where the injury risk is being overly uh, baked into the price. His and teammate, AJ Pollock, too. He had a nice year last year. Exactly. And, and that's, I think that's where we tend to talk about these things as if it's a binary. This guy's injury prone and this guy's not. And really what it is is everybody has a, a, a chance of getting injured. And some guys it's higher and some guys it's lower. But we don't really know who those people are in any real way, at least not in any way that's been scientifically like thought through in the same way we do everything else. And so again, it's something that I'll just, I'll look dumb about on occasion. I will probably look dumb about John Carlos Stan and Aaron judge again this year. Uh, But on the whole, I think buying discount injury discounted players is a winning strategy on the whole. And lastly, of all the old school cats, all the old school cats like ERA, ew, which one still holds the most merit to you? Batting average, I don't, anything. I don't necessarily, I'm not one of these people who thinks we should like get rid of the win in fantasy baseball or get rid of ERA or cause like. Really? I, cause I don't really care if it represents real value. Like the, the fun and the science of it is trying to work within the parameters that are established. And so if you change win for quality start, you're still dealing with an arbitrary stat. You're still dealing with things that are out of a player's control. And if you like, I think the idea of switching ERA for FIP, it just like if anybody did that in a fantasy <laughs> league I was playing in, I would quit. Like that just sounds just horrible. Uh, I don't mind any of them. Like batting average doesn't like, I don't care about a player's batting average when I'm like, deciding if I want my favorite team to sign them. But there is an art and a science to this guy's batting average was bad last year. Is it going to be this year and building your team that way? I think that all of that adds to the, to the fun and intrigue of the game. So I don't necessarily have a problem with any of them. I think they're most of these stats are kind of silly and, and arbitrary. And we like the idea of an earned run is stupid. <laughs> like it's just like the, just if you actually like think about it it's <laughs> it was a run that a pl- pitcher that scored while a pitcher was pitching only if a guy in the in the bo- the box upstairs decides that that was his fault and not someone else's fault <laughs> unless but unless if that like if the pitcher makes a fielding error <laughs> That is not earned run, even though it was the pitcher. Ma- like, th- it's stupid. Like, if you actually, like, actually think about it outside of the context of this is the thing we've known for our entire lives. Hits. 
hits are stupid. Like batting average, the the distinction between an at bat and a plate appearance is dumb. <laughs> I'm like, going to be up all night just thinking about this, Chris. Like, Thanks. <laughs> okay. Batting average is hits divided by at-bat. And at-bats are plate appearances minus walks, hit by pitch, sacrifice flies for some reason. There's not really any reason those things shouldn't be included. There's no reason to – like, it, it's all it's all dumb. <laughs> and it's all just one person, one guy who ran a newspaper 125 years ago decided <laughs> that we're going to print this thing and that thing and not this thing. Yeah. And that's how we got these stats. So I have no problem with one or the other being uh, in a fantasy league because it's just, it's all about the strategy involved in accumulating those various things. It's <laughs> not like the merit of the thing doesn't matter. Do you think we get to a point in like, I don't know, maybe as early as this year when you're watching Sunday night baseball and a guy's coming up to bat and all you're seeing, you're not seeing average home runs, RBIs, runs, you're seeing hard hit rate, barrel percentage, home run to fly ball rate. Is that just going to confuse everybody? Do we get to a point where the media is doing that with games? I think you should probably like, I think all that stuff's like coloring and flavoring. You know, I think you still, uh, like the run is still like what the point of the game is. Like you're still trying to score runs. You're still trying to prevent runs. A barrel doesn't actually score a run. It increases your probability of having <laughs> an event while at bat that can produce a run. And so like, so I, I'm, st I'm fine with that. I just, we have to be smart about it. And like, you shouldn't tell me that, you know, a pitcher's good because he has a two fourteen ERA, you know, with no other content. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't, like like I said earlier, communicate with the audience in the language that they understand. And the audience, for the most part, still understands ERA and batting average. And so it's about finding the best ways to create an, uh, a smarter consumer base in sports while speaking to them in the language that they can reciprocate. Remember, old people only watch baseball anyway, so exactly. we can't change average and home runs and RBI yet. we got to keep all that stuff. So. Exactly. There's no young people watching baseball. Ridiculous. Okay. That was very informative. Thank you, Chris. Uh, we have been talking for so long. We, we're going to have to cut some of this out. I, I think we're going to have to... We, we got to cut... Uh, I think we have to cut bounce backs. I, just, I think I'd rather That's give you the, the listener chatter before you go because these people made the effort to contact you and ask you questions. So what do you think? Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. I can I can do that. Okay, great. So here we go. Uh, we have John. John writes in and he says, uh, what are your thoughts on Dominic Smith's vi viability? viability as a keeper this year in an eight-keeper league, five-cat with OBP, not average? It's head-to-head. -head. I'm worried about his playing time, but he's high-ish on a lot of lists so far. Kisses, John. He literally wrote kisses. So, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't play pretty regularly at this point. They got. Uh, you know, they got two. They got two. Uh, two bats who they were going to have to find playing time out of the way. They only replaced one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he'll definitely be helped if there's a DH. But I, I think at this point, I would assume he'll go. He's going to play pretty much every day. The bigger question is, you know, how much of the last 400 plate appearances was real? 
Um, I think most of it for sure. You know, that was all the talk today, too. It was like, oh, Dominic Smith. The Mets are giving up on defense with Dominic Smith and J.D. Davis. They just want to hit. So, yeah. I mean, maybe they should, you know. Just yeah. like Jacob McGrom, you're not going to score any runs for him anyway. You're not going to play defense for him anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, strike. Uh, I heard Mill Will. Mill. Mill. Will Millbrooks is tough to say sometimes. Will Middlebrooks on your own show saying that it sucks when you're just kind of standing around and people are striking people out all day, but that's part of the game now. That's how it goes. Yeah. When I when I played uh, youth hockey, that was my sport growing up. And I was a goalie. There's nothing worse than when you're playing on a really good team and you only face like six shots a game. It is so boring. Yeah. Like I want my team to just be getting dominated, and I just want to be <laughs> peppered with shots. I want to be on the bad team. That's exactly. right. Pepper me, please. As Kevin Costner said, strikeouts are fascist, but they're a way of life now. So that's kind of a dated movie reference. What have you been into recently? This is from Michael. That has you thinking about, I don't know if this, you can, <laughs> this is weird, man. I don't know if this is okay. even real, but what have you been into recently that has you thinking about the Fermi paradox? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think that I hold on. I, I want to get this right. <laughs> I'm, I'm only fake smart. Okay. okay so the paradox is the idea that there are that the universe is infinitely big. And yet we've come into contact with no intelligent life. And I made a reference to uh, to the the great filter theory on the fantasy baseball today podcast the other yes. day talking about this idea that as uh, life forms advance. There are various things that happen in their development that filter out X percentage of them. And that explains why there are so that why there seemingly are so few intelligent life forms out in the galaxy in the universe. Uh, what have I been into? Uh, I guess <laughs> there's a, one of my favorite books of all time is a short history of nearly everything by Bill Bryson. And uh, it's literally like a 600 page book that just kind of talks about the history of everything, like all science just gives you like a little bit about each science. That's probably where that came from. <laughs> okay. Wow. That was, that's gotta be email early running 2021 email of the year. Thank you, Michael. You that was, uh, he's, he's been paying attention obviously though. Clearly. Uh, what we got here? We got which hitters and pitchers 2020s are you ignoring altogether or accepting as, Progressive gains, regressive losses. Uh, I don't understand. I'm not. I don't love this question. Is there a hitter or pitcher that you're ignoring altogether and just saying, "Hey, I'm ready to go in 2021"? Um, Craig Kimbrell, hmm. I think, is one. Uh, he basically had like a bad week and a half in 2020, and because the season was so short, his numbers still stink. Uh, but it was basically like his. I think. He gave up like five runs in his first four innings or something like that and was basically Craig Kimbrell after that. And I know, you know, the fact that it came off of 2019, which was a really bad season for him, there's a lot of skepticism of him. However, 2019 kind of seems like it kind of like I was talking with Corey Seager earlier. It seems like there was a good reason why Craig Kimbrell stunk in 2019 is because he didn't get to pitch until July because nobody wanted to give up a, a compensatory pick for him. Uh, yeah, he gave up seven runs in his first four outings and nine earned runs total for the season. Craig Kimbrell was, for the most part, really, really good last season. Uh, 
So I, I am going to be higher on him than I think the collective. You know, he, he's not a dinosaur either. He's only 32 years old, and he's yeah. two years from having a really solid season. He's had, what, like 30, 40 innings in the last two years? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a bit too much. 30, 36 innings. I think there's a bit too much uh, uh, Craig Kimbrell's done based on that. Yeah, don't you think they're invested, too, in getting him well and getting yeah. him right so they can trade his ass? Yeah. <laughs> two more years on the contract, I think. Uh, yeah, that that the best case scenario for them is he's got a one ERA in July on a ton of innings. Right. So there's nothing better when the organization wants you to do well, too. That's just exactly. an added incentive. Uh, what's the thing Chris misses the most about Florida? Uh, so I moved to New York from South Florida where I lived my entire life. Uh, so I've only lived outside of South Florida for the last 14 months or so. And there's been COVID. So yeah. Yeah. They have, ho- they have so, hockey. They had hockey down in South Florida as a youth. Played it, played a little roller hockey, a little bit of ice hockey. Uh, yeah. Florida Panthers, man. John yeah. Van Beesbrook. Come on. Exactly. That was, that was the, <laughs> that was the genesis of it. Um, oh, really? <laughs> the thing I most about Publix, like besides family. Publix. <laughs> yes. Publix. Are you talking Publix, about the grocery store? It's yeah. the greatest grocery store in the world, the Publix Chicken Tender Sub. I've only been back to South Florida once since I left, and I did not get a Publix Chicken Tender Sub. And it's, I was like, oh, I'll be back. I'll travel in a bunch in 2020. Sure. No. No, that's not what happened. So, By yeah, the way, I live in Charleston, and I know Publix well. So, Oh, it's it's a delight. There's it just no grocery delight. store at, like, in New York, I have to go to like three different grocery stores to get everything that I can get in one public trip. <sighs> that's the only. That's the one negative. I knew there was a negative. And I don't have a car. And I feel bad. I feel bad for Publix too because they're known as the place where Jameis Winston took the crab legs, and that's not all what Publix is. There's much, much more going on at Publix. Look, not we, fair. Who wants to be judged by our worst moment with Jameis Winston? <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to leave that one. Uh, Chris has long faded pushing up starting pitching while that trend continues. Is he sticking to his guns? No. And I, I you know, I started changing a bit last year. I, I think there's still uh, the, the reasons why you would want to fade starting pitcher haven't changed. They're far more volatile than uh, hitters and they are less predictive less predictable. They get injured more. Uh, that being said, I, I think the way I view it now is it's less about avoiding starting pitcher and more about being smart about how you acquire them. And historically starting pitchers from the first two to three rounds return their return, pretty good value from that point on. You're not really your chances of getting a very good starting pitcher from like rounds four to rounds 15 basically don't change. Uh, I, I did some research on this last year. Ariel Cohen's done some really good research on this. Mike Gianella has done some really good research on this and it all pretty much points in the same direction. Like the top 12 to 15 starting pitchers are generally pretty good. And then after that, it's a lot of like this guy used to be good, or we think this guy will be good this year, but he hasn't been good. Uh, and you can talk yourself into it, and every once in a while, those guys will hit. But for the most part, the kind of middle class or upper middle class at starting pitcher are the worst investments you can make in fantasy. Yeah, I see a similarity what you and Scott were talking about when it comes to dynasty and taking the hitters because they'll hit more often. You were talking about you know the top seven from 
a few years back on hitting yeah. and pitching, and the hitters hit a lot more than the pitchers did. So I just think that that's more of a certainty. That makes a lot of yeah. sense to me. And finally, last question. What's the position Chris is waiting on the longest to draft this year and why? We know it's still early, but is there a position that you're going to hold on, hold out hope for a while and be like, you know what, it'll be there. Catcher, you know, Gary Sanchez at pick 200. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it's more about individual players. Like Gary Sanchez falling that much, I think, makes him pretty easy to wait on. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of, you know, with... uh, with our friend Heath Cummings, uh, who in both baseball and football likes to tout his nips, no intentional <laughs> positional strategy. And I think that like, you can't go into your draft saying, I'm going to do this. You have to be flexible. And if, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, it's always relief pitcher for me. Just the sample sizes are way too small to, you know, like Liam Hendricks has been incredible the last two seasons. And he's thrown 90 innings, maybe 100 innings in those two seasons. Uh, And they've been unbelievably good innings that were unlike anything else he's ever done before. And generally speaking, when when that happens with a starting pitcher over 100 innings, we're pretty skeptical. But when it happens with a reliever, we're like, okay, this was a full season. He did it for a whole season. And uh, like, I'm not skeptical of Liam Hendricks that much anymore. But on the whole... Uh, God, who was the Nick Anderson was the guy that, you know, last year he was this darling and we were like, you know, everybody, we got to get him. And he was really good last season. And then in the postseason, he stunk and everyone was mad that they took Blake Snell out for him. That was like, it was like a six inning sample size in the postseason where everyone was like, you can't throw Nick Anderson in a high leverage situation after a year and a half of this is the best high leverage pitcher in baseball. (laughs) And those kind of swings happen all the time with relief pitcher. And so it's usually with relief pitcher. If I'm going to wait uh, on any position relief pitcher, the three bad outings can ruin your ratios. It can also just cost you your job. Uh, And there is so much turnover, like 15 new closers are going to emerge at some point in the 2021 season. We don't know who they're going to be. Uh, and so <laughs> a lot of them will be drafted. Right. Yeah. And and so there's going to be some absolute stud closer who we're drafting in the top 10 relief pitchers next in 2022, who is not drafted or on anyone's radar right now. Uh, and so that's not to say it's easy to find a relief pitcher because it's really, really hard. Uh, it's to say that they're not worth the investment either way, unless you get, you know, the guy who's been doing it for three years. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world, Chris. That is a great note to end on. By the way, uh, I smoked Heath Cummings in our Raslam league last year. Oh, I want to get that on the record. I was third overall in our league, saying, not bad. Not bad for my first year. You got? And uh, the fact that I beat Heath Cummings blows my mind. But then again, he might have been his son. Does he have a son? Because I'm not sure if it was him <laughs> you playing. You played against uh, a five-year-old? He I don't know. He does have a son, yeah. Yeah, uh, the name has been... changed, so it doesn't say oh. Heath anymore. Anywho, oh, uh, yeah, you never know when Rafael Montero will one year exactly. be a guy who just shows up, and then this year he's going to be like the supposed Seattle closer, and then he'll be replaced by someone else. So Exactly. That's great stuff. That's a perfect way to end the show. It's been a 
freaking pleasure, man. I've really enjoyed this. You know, I've Thank never you met you. Me. Yeah, I've never met you in person or anything, and this has been great. I, I've had so much. I'm going to go back and actually listen to this podcast, and I don't always do that. I admit that. You know, sometimes I just move on. But this one, it's got hours of information, and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. All righty. Well, that's it for Palazzo Podcast. Uh, next week, we'll have Maddie Wood. Maddie Davis will be joining us, high-stakes player who knows his fantasy baseball as well. He'll be on the show, and we're going to have more guests. They're just going to be showing up. Chris Towers has started a trend. People are going to be coming on the show like crazy. I already got them locked in. We're really excited about it. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Palazzo Podcast on Twitter. Two L's, two Z's. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Chris Towers. Thanks to Chris Deary. We're out of here. See you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.